Hey there, friends and running fans. This is Ambie Burfoot, welcoming you to the latest episode of the podcast, Running State of the Sport. And this is George Hirsch, your co-host at Running State of the Sport. In every episode, we talk to the smartest, most informed, most influential, and sometimes fastest runners on the planet. This week, we actually have one of those fastest runners, thanks to a great conversation we had with Kira D'Amato. She's the American record holder for 10 miles and the half marathon, and also the second fastest American marathoner ever with the 219.12 she ran in Houston early in 2022. That, of course, makes her one of the favorites for the much-anticipated U.S. Olympic marathon trials coming up soon on February 3rd of next year. But before getting to Kira, we want to talk about some of the biggest recent news stories in the running world. Ambie, what grabbed your attention? Well, I'm happy to see, speaking of the marathon trials, that they're inching towards some kind of resolution of that controversy which sparked up about starting times and whether there were contracts or not and who was in charge and who was taking care of the athletes. It appears they've settled on a 10 a.m. start instead of noon. Jared Ward has said he's happy with that. Sarah Hall is not. She thinks it's still going to be too hot or could be too hot. And I have to agree with her. I don't think there's a big difference between 10 a.m. and noon. But I'm glad that they're moving forward because we need to put this behind us and get into some racing soon. I, I was also really interested in a fantastic article that Jonathan Galt wrote for Let's Run. It was about sodium bicarbonate being used by more top athletes to presumably run faster. And he claimed that Kelvin Kiptum used it in his world record, that Molly Seidel used it in her personal record at Chicago, and that Jacob Ingebrigtsen has perhaps been using sodium bicarbonate for several years for his performances. Now, it's not illegal. It's not doping. It's not a drug. It's something that's been known to improve races of about two to five minutes usually, but now it seems maybe it's doing more than that. And a number of athletes are trying it. And honestly, I think it's going to be a factor in the marathon trials. How many people are trying these new gels and blends of substances that seem to be improving times almost as much as the super shoes are? Two to five minutes, Ambie, if that holds up, this is this is another super shoe, really. There are some people who are calling it food doping, but as I said, it's not doping. It's not anywhere near any band list. And in fact, it's been avoided until this time because it was making people really get a lot of GI distress and diarrhea even. So nobody needs that in a race, but some are going to do whatever they can to run as fast as possible at those marathon trials. G George, what's come up on your radar screen recently? Well, for sure, the NCAA championships in cross country down in Virginia. I, I thought it was a sensational meet. And uh, it just is a reminder of why, uh, why we really love cross country. You know, we think of this 
running business is such an individual sport. And yet when it comes to cross country, uh, you really get the feeling that this is, this is a team sport and it was a great one. Uh, in the women's race, uh, it was set up as we all know to be a, a race between Parker Valby and Caitlin Tuey of North Carolina State. Caitlin Tuey going in had not been feeling well with some illness. And, uh, Parker Valby, uh, who's been undefeated this year and certainly was a, a favorite. She ran very well and won the race. Caitlin Tuey, on the other hand, uh, she fought her way back up to get fifth place. And she went from sixth to fifth in the last meters. And believe it or not, had she stayed in sixth, her North Carolina State team would not have won the title. Uh, they won by a mere point, thanks to her uh, pushing through uh, valiantly at the end. And to see her and her teammates celebrate, I mean, here she was, one of the favorites in the race, not having a good day, clearly with some problems and yet celebrating uh, with her teammates and their coach, uh, Lori Hennis. I, I just thought it was, it was fabulous and why we've always loved the sport of cross country. You, you know, those of us who have been running for a few years, like me and you, recall our cross country teams back in high school and college and our earliest days of running and the longest distances we ran then when we ran three miles or five, whatever it was. Uh, and it was just the best thing imaginable to be part of that team and to train together doing the same workouts every day and then to race together on race day. We think of running as an individual sport, as you said, but boy, it's fun to be part of a team. And speaking of teams, the men's race, that was a real head-to-head uh, -head team race. Northern Arizona, who's been dominating this this event for, gosh knows, the last eight years, uh, they were set up to be in a battle with Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State won it. They won it, actually, uh, with a little room to spare. And if you looked over, Hamby, the... Uh, the classes of, of the athletes, uh, Oklahoma State seemed to have a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, and uh, I think the word dynasty is beginning to be thrown around. But you cannot forget the man's winner in the NCAA Division I cross-country championships. It's not every day that we see a guy from Harvard pull this off against absolutely elite competition, Graham Blanks. And he'd been running very well. So people had been uh, talking about him, focusing on him, and yet to pull off the victory, uh, that clearly was, uh, if not an upset, I would call it a, a very big deal in the sport. It was curious to me. I finally caught up with the post-race interviews. Both of them talked about running with fear. And, of course, coaches tend to tell us, run with confidence. You've done the training. You're ready for this. Run with confidence. Both Parker and uh, Graham said that they ran with fear. How strange is that? Well, Parker Volby talked about, I mean, <laughs> really going into this race uh, in, a, in a terrible state of mind. And yet, uh, 
watching the race, you sure saw a woman running with incredible confidence. And I think we have to say a little bit about her training regimen. Uh, she's known to run, uh, you know, what, like 30 miles a week, no more, and a heavy dosage of cross training. And I think people are going to be looking at that kind of a program. Uh, of course, she's not a marathon runner. I mean, her, her distance here, six kilometers, is short and swift. Uh, we, we get that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I, think, I think a number of coaches and runners are going to be looking to see, uh, you know, exactly what Parker's doing. She's had incredible success. Well, George, since you went to graduate school at Harvard, I've got to make sure that you heard about the Harvard runner who recently set a world record in the last couple of weeks. Not a word. Tell me. <laughs> okay. Uh, Harvard physics professor Jenny Hoffman set a world record, a Guinness World Record, for running across the country. She only averaged 63.8 miles per day for 47 days on one of those transcontinental runs from San Francisco or wherever it was to the New York, New York City at marathon time. I'm not sure that she ran the marathon, but uh, she actually graduated in the same class as my son, so I'm going to be giving him crap forever that uh, he's not out there running 63.8 miles a day. Wow, for 47 days. <laughs> Pretty impressive, I'll, I'll say that. And that's the biggest recent running news as we see it here at Running State of the Sport. This podcast, Running State of the Sport, is brought to you by MarathonHandbook.com and RunLongRunHealthy.com. Marathon Handbook is the world's leading marathon website with a special focus on trustworthy running information and free runner-tested training plans for all ability levels. Run Long, Run Healthy is Ambie's weekly newsletter with the newest, most scientific, and most useful training advice for runners. Next, let's turn to our guest this week, Kira D'Amato. Kira is the second fastest American female marathon runner ever, with a best of 219.12 that she ran in the 2022 Houston Marathon. That record was broken nine months later when Emily Sisson ran 218.29 in Chicago, but Kira is still number two. So needless to say, Kira is one of the favorites to make the U.S. Olympic team when she competes in the marathon trials on February 3rd in Orlando. Kira, who's now 39, is also known for her irrepressible personality and the unusual arc of her running career. Kira, welcome to Running State of the Sport. We're so thrilled to have you join us this morning. Yeah, thank you both for having me on. I'm really thrilled to get the chance to sit down and chat with you both. So, so Kira, I'm going to ask you a funny question to get you started. Are you a runner? Are you a realtor? Are you a retail store owner or what? <laughs> That's a great question. I ask myself that almost every day. When I introduce my, myself and people ask me, like, you know, give like a one-line bio, I say I'm a mother, 
I'm a military spouse. I am a runner, a pro runner for Nike. I also own a running store and I'm a realtor. So I think it's kind of maybe in that order right now. So I guess first and foremost, a mother and a wife, but then I think a runner before anything else at this point. But So I got to ask you, do you make more money uh, running or real estate? You know, it's it's flip-flopped over the years. And I, when I first was coming into the running space, it was 100% real estate. I wasn't really making any money for running. It was just my hobby. In fact, running was helping me make more money in real estate because it was getting my name out there. It was almost free marketing for me. And when people would be moving to Richmond and they were runners, they would call me up and say, hey, I'm a runner too and I'm moving to Richmond. Would you mind helping me find a house? So it was quite an awesome marketing source for me. Um, but now with um, some of the recent success I've had in running, I've been leaning more into the running side, less into real estate. So I, I'd say now it's it's more running than real estate, but uh, it flip-flops. But I also do think that that's been um, a, an advantage of mine, especially getting into the sport, was I wasn't chasing any sort of financial success initially in running, that that was in real estate. So I think that created a really free environment for me to go after whatever goals I want and not be worried about the financial side. Well, I'm very glad to hear that your uh, running served as a good promotion for the realty <laughs> business. Um, and I think you now own a running shoe store also, although I can't actually imagine that you've got a lot of time to fit people with the 10C or 10D or whatever <laughs> they need. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not in there on a day-to-day basis. I have a really incredible manager and staff that really helps out with the day-to-day and the operations. Um, so right now I'm more kind of an owner and I go for the events and giving talks and everything. Um, and really like I opened it to create a sense of community in Midlothian really and have a place where we can all go and learn from each other. And um, so that's been that's been really fun to have that. You know, it's uh, it's dawning on me. We haven't placed you geographically well enough, Kira. You just said Midlothian, which is not in my vocabulary. So <laughs> would you tell us where you are living, training, and owning uh, a retail store? Absolutely. So I live in Richmond, Virginia, the capital of Virginia. My running store is in Midlothian, which is just about 15 minutes outside of Richmond, um, so all really close. So it's kind of, it's a Richmond suburb, but yeah, Richmond, Virginia, I train here all during the year, um, and raise my kids here. So you've been doing some racing, uh, some five K's lately. We had you here in New York, the five K, the dash to the finish the day before the New York city marathon and the BAA half marathon. So, uh, of course we're going to get around to the marathon trials in a second, but it seems like you were intentionally squeezing in some races in early November. Why the 5Ks? How did they feel? How about that Boston Half Marathon? And uh, did you train through both of them? Yeah, I, tr- I trained through both of them. I think my, my coach and I know I love to race. Like I run to race. That's what I'm happiest. And I and is think he happy that, with you doing that all the time? You know, initially he was a little hesitant, I'll say. But I think he has seen how like much I'm fueled and not stressed by races and how going through that process, I think just 
I don't know, it makes it a little easier to get to each race when I'm racing so often. I feel like it takes that one race off a pedestal and kind of, I treat it almost more as workouts, glorified workouts where people are cheering for me, which they usually don't during workouts. So I find (laughs) that a lot of fun, but, um, yeah, so we've gotten creative and we've filled in races with, you know, instead of key workouts, just to provide a hard effort for me to get used to going through the motions for me to race different people and different strategies, different terrains. Um, and I really like the, I don't know, just the dynamic training in that regard. But I was actually how the New York 5k came around. I was asked by the New York athletic club to give, um, a speech at their annual pasta dinner on Friday night. So I was going to be up in New York. So I asked my coach like, Hey, since I'm up there, I mean, there's a 5k, obviously I'm not going to do the marathon, but there is a 5k, which sounds really fun. And it's the U S championships 5k. So, I mean, I should, right. He's like, yeah, let's do it. That will be fun. So we kind of just switch in those races instead of workouts, but I did train right through, um, both of those races. Um, I think leading into 5k a couple of days before I did a 21 miler with some tempo in that. So I went in pretty flat to that 5k intentionally wanting to work through that and practice grinding on tired legs. And you know, despite that, you were pushing the pace in the middle of the race. We were all watching it one way or another. I mean, you had a few yards on the field and looked like you were really going for it. It might've caught up with you a little bit later. Tell us about the last half of the race. Yeah. So I usually kick with about two miles to go and (laughs) I didn't change my strategy in a 5k, (laughs) but it's funny because with road racing and a marathon and even a half and even 10 miles, when you're like two miles from the finish line, I feel like that's when I get in and kick. And I was, you know, a mile into the race, I was looking around to who I was racing against. And all of these women are very established 5k and even milers and Olympians and people with some pretty monster kicks. So I kind of looked around and I felt the pace starting to settle a little bit and I heard some heavy breathing. So I just thought, well, here's my chance. You know, I think I could make this a really tough race for a lot of people. This is before people really want to start going. And maybe if I could build up enough of a lead, then they won't be able to catch me. And I did not build up enough of a lead. So they were able to catch me, but, um, but I felt really strong throughout the race. I was really happy with how comfortable I was feeling running that fast. I called my coach after and I was like, you know, I think despite getting passed by three people in the last half mile, I felt really strong. I just didn't have the wheels. And he's like, cause that was your wheels pace the whole, the whole race. You were running on only wheels, but we haven't done any speed work right now. We're at the very beginning of a marathon build. So, um, I think that was probably just as about as well of a race as that could have gone. And, um, yeah, I'd probably do it exactly the same if I did it again. I would just try to go a little bit harder, maybe in the middle to get away, give, give myself a little bit more distance. You were, you were in the thick of it and with, with a 20, 21 mile as part of your taper. Not bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And so how about the uh, BAA half marathon, which was two weeks later, I believe. And that had a real international field, which is to say a, a good handful of top Kenyans and Ethiopians. Yeah, so that was actually it was a week later. So the week, B, okay. Yeah, so the New York 5K was on a Saturday and the BA half was a week later on Sunday. So I think I had about 8 days in between. Um so I kind of again I trained right through it. I used the BA half as a really 
hard, strong effort to really get used to racing international competition. I found that Americans race very differently than um, some international women that I've raced against. So the more exposure I can have to racing um, with different strategies, I think the stronger and just kind of how I level up my racing tactics. So it was a really, it was a really powerful field. Um, very, very deep. And I was really proud of how relaxed I felt running in a group of that many women. Usually I, you know, like in the 5k, I try to take it out and be alone. I like to run from the front, but in this race, I stayed really patient and I just put myself into the pack and I let them pick the pace. And with two miles to go, you know, everyone <laughs> put on their kick similar to the 5k. It was two miles to go where the pack broke up. And I think there was still like, I mean, somewhere between 10 and 12 of us with two miles to go. So it really was just a really hard two mile race at the end. So I was happy that I had done that in the 5k. I was practice, <laughs> but, um, I was really proud of how I was able to work it up that last two miles and really, uh, race, um, with where I am in the season. Again, at the very beginning of the build, I was really proud of how I was able to put myself in there. Kira, let's, let's tell our listeners a little bit about your, journey. We'll we'll go back a few years ago. You know, you were hardly a blip on the elite running scene. I think in 2018 or so, five years ago, your marathon best was something like a 244. And since then, you know, you've been like a rocket on takeoff. So explain to us uh, how you did it, what happened, what was going on then, and, you know, where you are now. Yeah, it's it's funny to me because I was really never trying to get where I am now until a little bit later on. Like I put running back into my life after having two kids, really for mental and physical health reasons. Um, and I started running because I loved it and running because it made me part of a community and it was making me happy. Um, and it was helping me like lose weight post pregnancies. Um, so I really never thought I was going to be here, but the more I was doing it, the more I was really liking it and the more fun I was having. So it turned out the more fun I was having, the more I wanted to do it. Um, but yeah, I hopped in a marathon and, in my first one after pregnancy, I ran 314. And I was like, I think I can run faster than that. And so I did another one um, six months later, and I ran 247. And I was like, well, I think I can run faster than that too. And if I do run faster than that, I could qualify for my first ever Olympic trials. And that's where like a switch turned in my brain that I was like, let's, let's get a little more intentional. Let's get a coach and let's really see, you know, what we can do here. Um, so I don't know. I just kept at it and kept working at it. And I think I teamed up with my coach now, Scott Roscoe. Um, and we kind of came at the marathon in a little different way. I think than you hear normally, we we're a little bit lower mileage and we really came at it from like a speed standpoint, which was really fun for me. And yeah, I, um, I don't know. I, I can't even really explain how I'm here. I've been, you know, I've, been on all the running days and all the practices. Like I've seen the whole journey. Um, and it's just, it, I mean, I think I am probably just as surprised <laughs> as you guys, to be honest. <laughs> tell us, tell us about, uh, working with Scott. We, we recall Scott, of course, uh, primarily from his days of coaching Alan Webb back when he was a sensational sub four minute high school miler. How did you decide on him and what experiences he had with the marathon? 
Yeah. So right after American University, I was, I knew I wanted to run. This was in 2006. I knew I wanted to continue running. So I looked to my like best friend and my running mentor, Samia Akbar, who was being coached by Scott Rusko at the time with Allen. And I joined their team. So I was with them for a couple of years before I got injured and quit. And then I was totally out of the sport for almost a decade. But when I started, um, but even when I was out of the sport, I mean, Scott was always checking in on me. And I think like he has always cared about me just as a person too. So we remained close. So we'd check in and, you know, I'd tell him, Hey, I'm going to go do this marathon. I think maybe I can break three. And he, you know, he was, you know, a big supporter at the time. And he kind of laughed when I told him like what my training plans were. And, you know, I was, one point I was on like a three day training week and I thought this was like the new greatest thing that, you know, every, so I was telling him all this funny stuff and just, it made him laugh. But after I got that close to making the trials and I was like, Hey, let's get the band back together. He was like, are you going to listen this time? <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't really listen ever, but I think that Scott and I work really well together because he coaches me as like a person and he sees me as a whole human who is also a mother, who is also a wife and and also a realtor and a running store owner now. But I think he sees the whole person and it's very individualized with my strength and my weaknesses and what I have going on in my life. And um, I think he's just a phenomenal coach, like anywhere from sprinting and field events all the way up to the marathon. I think he's very scientific and he researches and he's coached for a really long time, but I think he also is very intuitive. Um, so he can see when I come to practice and I'm feeling a little bit flat and he'd be like, no, we're not working out today. We'll save it till tomorrow. So I think he can really read me in a way and see what kind of attitude I'm in. And he knows when to push me. He knows when to pull me back. And then I think he's allowed me, like we were talking about earlier, to really lean into the things about running that I think is really fun. And he's created this space for me to totally be myself and do the things that I love in running and chase the goals that I want to chase in running with um, and supporting me through that. So we work really, really well together. And I feel very lucky that he um, he has been coaching me for so long. Kira, we're going to talk a bit more about the the training and especially the preparations the next three months before the marathon trials. But this podcast is called Running State of the Sport. So we ask everyone uh, how they view the sport. And you've had a really quick, big introduction, education over the last five years. What's the absolute best thing about this sport? And what are some things that could be a little bit better in your thinking? I think, you know, it's been really interesting for me because I've seen high levels of running in a couple different decades, in the early 2000s and now in the 2020s. And I am so appreciative of just the attitude and the environment of running right now. It's way more inclusive. And I still feel like we have work to do there, but I feel like it's a very inclusive space. We're seeing a lot more diverse groups, diverse people coming out and you know, being included in running. And that I think has really grown our sport in a really incredible, positive way. We've seen more people and maybe the introduction of social media are way more supportive and included. And I feel um, there's a camaraderie, especially around the women American runners that I did not feel in the early 2000s. It felt a little more cutthroat. So this feels very supportive and we're all out there to beat each other and compete. And I don't think it's lost on any of us that we're all trying to win the race, but I think there's a way to 
compete on the roads and be, you know, respectful and kind and friendly and friends really off. And I think that that's been really special. Um, so I think, you know, the overall, I think running is the strongest I've ever seen it. It's the most fun I've ever seen it. I think we're seeing people run for a lot of different reasons, like have different whys and all of those whys are equal and valid and important. Um, it's not just how fast you can go anymore. There's so many different reasons why people run. And I think it's really special that we can respect everyone's decisions. But, um, yeah, so I, I love where the running community is right now. My favorite thing about running is the community and being part of something together. Um, and I think the things that we can work on again is making sure more people feel included, have the opportunity to run and more diversity in the sport, I think is always going to be a good thing. I think, um, just the more people that are included, just the higher levels and just, you know, the, the rising tide raises all boats. So, and within that community, there's a, a smaller community of women runners who've had babies and it seems to have made a lot of you stronger. And so Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think running has made me a better mother and being a mother has made me a better runner for sure. And, you know, I'm not a doctor or scientist, so I don't really know the physical changes that my body went through, but I do know that I'm more patient. Um, I'm a little bit, I'm way more mature than I was. Um, I have a different perspective and different priorities in my life, which I think create a really healthy space for, for me to really go for it in the running scene. And I think when all is said and done, like no matter if I win a race or I'm dead last, I come home and my kids like ask me what's for dinner. You know, they don't care how the race went. And I think that's created a really cool space for me to go for it and not tie any of my identity around the results um, because no one in my family really cares. The person who cares the most about running in my family is me, you know, so I can come home and just be taken out of that world, which for me being kind of an anxious person, I think has been, um, a really a blessing. Um, but then also like during a marathon, when I remember when I was first doing marathons after having children, like that didn't feel hard to me in the way that having two young kids at home waking up at one and at three and at five and at seven and having to change diapers or feed them or whatever, that felt really difficult. So I think my perspective on pain and struggle was a little bit different. And I started, that felt very manageable to work through the pain that I was facing in a marathon because I felt like, felt lucky that that was <laughs> kind of what I was experiencing in a way. So I, I do think there is a lot. And I think it's, an incredible space too, that we are seeing so many mother runners. I think we almost didn't, I don't, don't want to say we didn't allow for it, but there wasn't as big of a space for it earlier. And now I think we're creating more opportunities for mothers to be able to, um, to run and to balance being both a mother and a runner. Uh, Kara, George and I have noted, we were talking yesterday that you've got a really serious competitor in the marathon trials. Who's also a realtor and she's got four kids. <laughs> Maybe you should have had seven or something. <laughs> I thought about that, but then I realized I don't think I would be able to make it to a starting line with seven kids. But yeah, Sarah Vaughn, she definitely is. Uh, she's incredible. And actually real quick, funny story about her. During um, the pandemic, when I, I did a time trial 5K and I ran 1504 and I 
put it out. We had a friend with a video camera, so we put it out online. She called me right after the race, and obviously I knew who she was, but I had never spoke to her before. And she left me a voice message. It just said, Hey, Kira, it's Sarah Vaughn. I just wanted to congratulate you on your 5K and officially pass the torch that you are now the fastest running realtor in the United States. She had a good, uh, she has a good attitude about that. It's been, that's, it was really funny. Your, your story though, 10 years really away from the sport and then coming back to set the American record in the marathon. You still hold the 10-mile record at 51.23. You're still the American half-marathon record holder in the 106s. Um, it's it's really uh, something to just pin yourself and say, <laughs> how did all this come about in such a short period of time? Absolutely. I, um, I am so grateful that I decided to go for it. And I think... So the day that when I broke Dina Castor's marathon record, when everything, like when the dust settled and I was through drug testing and the press conferences and when everything died down and I had a moment to myself, the first thing that came into my mind, which kind of overwhelmed me, I started to cry, was I was so thankful that I found the courage to start this journey because I had no idea I had all of that inside me. I really had no idea. But I started anyways, and I went for it, and I went searching for how, you know, what were my limits? What, how fast could I run? And I'm just, I feel so lucky that, and I don't know if I found it myself or I leaned on a lot of people to help support me. I think probably the latter that I had a community of people supporting me and encouraging me. But, um, yeah, I do, I do pinch myself a lot. I feel very, very lucky. And I also like, I just feel lucky that I found the courage to take the step the first day. Well, I think your your courage, Kira, has really ignited a lot of other people because while you haven't been in the sport as long as some, you've got a ton of fans out there now. Let's face it. And, and there are so many parts of your story they appreciate, including your personality, which is quite exuberant, uh, I think. I look at your competitive record and I don't see many bad races. You go to the starting line and you usually bring it in. But you didn't have a good one last summer and a really important one, the World Championships Marathon in Budapest. You had set the half marathon record a month before, so you were obviously very fit. Um, tell us what happened in Budapest, what you learned, and uh, I know it was tough to keep going. Tell us why you kept going, because that's a great story. Yeah, you know, the the kicker about the world championship marathon in Budapest is I was in the best shape of my life. And that, you know, that's kind of the thing about sport in general is that there's, you know, things in your control and there's things a little bit out of your control. But I really went in feeling very fit. I had done workouts, even in the heat and humidity, some of my best workouts I've ever done. Um, so I went in really confident and really excited for the opportunity. I, my, the thing that ended up happening to me is my hips sometimes get a little out of line. And I don't know if it was all the travel or what, but when I got there, I just couldn't get them quite back in line. And I got some treatment from, you know, the USA doctors out there that were great, but I don't think it really helped fix it. In fact, I think it may have irritated a little bit more. Um, so I went in um, with, I think, my hips tilted a little bit. And during that race, I strained a couple muscles. Um, I think just because of the stress 
it was put on some of those muscles that were a little elongated. Um, so it was around like 14 or 15 miles. All of a sudden my right leg, I just couldn't pull it up. Um, and my first thought was, okay, like maybe I don't need this leg. Can I just run without my right leg? Like maybe I don't even need it to run. And then like I, you know, you're in a weird spot when you don't have much uh, <laughs> no, it's if, oxygen if getting you to your brain. don't have a skateboard with you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I did not have a skateboard. I think I would have gotten DQ'd for that. And so then I was in a predicament because I was like, okay, well, I can't really pull up my right leg. I also don't, I don't know what this is. I don't want to injure myself more, but I knew my mom had woken up my kids in the middle of the night and they had, they were in front of the TV and I knew my kids were watching and I didn't want them to be worried. And that was all I kept thinking was that I want them to know that I'm okay. And as long as I'm, they're still seeing my splits, even though I'm slowing down, they're going to know I'm okay and they're not going to worry. And that was what fueled me for the last I don't know, 12 or 10 or so miles was, you know, just make sure your kids know you're okay. And, you know, it's funny because like in a marathon, sometimes they go your way and sometimes they don't. And, you know, and I've learned I can work through some pretty like terrible things. And I know if I just keep moving forward, you know, I'll be one step closer. But I think that it kind of shows, I guess, why I'm a marathon runner is that I think I would have found anything that day. I mean, that was really deep in my heart, but I feel like I would have found anything to convince myself to keep going just because I don't want to quit. And I, you know, if I was really injured or if I really couldn't take another step, I wouldn't have been able to, and I would have had a step off, but I could, and I did keep taking a step forward. So it, um, you know, I still like, I kind of look back, I'm like, should I have stopped or should I have kept going? I don't know. But I think that for me, just showing myself and, you know, people that are watching that, you have bad days sometimes, but you keep moving forward. You hold your head high. You do the best you can do. It's not going to be my best day ever, but it was the best I could do that day. And you finish and you're proud of yourself for finishing and working through that. So um, I feel like those races are almost harder, <laughs> you know, than the ones that are going well, because it's easy to get excited and to celebrate. And, you know, when you have that positive momentum, it's it's easier to keep going. It's harder on the days where everything goes south. But I, I'm proud that I found a way to keep moving forward in that race. Recent races indicated that you've probably gotten this injury problem figured out. Does it still concern you at all? No, I have a I have a good hold on it now. I think we figured out why it wasn't staying in place and I've been doing more strength and more exercise to make sure it stays in place. And then also I think um, lesson learned that anything a little different, you know, they say don't do anything different race week. And I knew that and I shouldn't have done that. So I think that that was a good reminder. And, you know, I don't, I don't know why that happened on that day in that race, but I have learned from it. I think I'm better from it. And I think also because I didn't quite go to the well, like systems wise that day, like I really put my leg through it and that took a little bit to recover, but running, I didn't run that fast. So I recovered really quickly. So, you know, I, everything happens for a reason. I feel the fittest right now starting my build than I ever have. Um, so, I mean, maybe that was just where my body needed to do to get myself in the right place in February, I guess. I'm curious, Kira, and I'm sure this isn't related to that injury problem, but how many people have told you that you lean backward too much in your upper body when you're running? And, and how do you and Scott react to that? My whole life, people have told me to drop my arms or to do stuff and, you know, do something differently. I... um 
you know, we do a lot of strength. I do a lot of like exercises. I do a lot of hip mobility and different strength work. Um, and it works for me, you know? So, uh, you know, I think we'd be worried to try to reprogram that because maybe it wouldn't work as much. And, you know, I think also I'm still improving year to year. And I, when I look at my body of work, even though I feel like 2022, I had much better, I guess, marathon times than I did this year. But as a body of work, I'm getting stronger, I'm getting faster, and things are still moving in the right direction. So I think if I was not improving at the rate that I was, I'd be looking maybe to change that. But since there is still that um, steady progression um, and no injuries coming from it, then you know we're kind of rolling with it. It makes me Don't stand out anybody, in the crowd a little bit. <laughs> Don't let anybody talk you into changing. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> mess around with your biomechanics. I think, you know, what God gave you is probably what you should be staying with and not trying to overly tweak it. So you're not a big mile runner. And I was just going to say, Amby, that uh, you mentioned earlier you do with Scott uh, probably a lot of quicker stuff, but uh, what is your mileage? It's not the 120, 130 that a lot of your competitors are running. No, I was actually, when I was training for the trials in 2020, I was averaging between 100 and like 130 miles per week. Um, and after that, I think it, in 2021, I got injured and we brought down my mileage to somewhere between 80 and 100 miles. And we found bringing it down, I was recovering a lot better and then I was nailing my workout. So all of a sudden my workouts being went from being good to being pretty phenomenal. So we decided like keeping my mileage a little bit lower, I'd go into workouts a little fresher and then I'd just crush these tempo runs and track workouts. And we found that that's where I was getting a lot of my confidence was from the workouts, not necessarily just the mileage. Um, so my mileage is, is a lot lower than I think a lot of other marathon runners. But I think what you don't see in that miles per week number is all the stuff that I'm doing outside and the cross training and the drills and the hurdle mobility and the toe yoga and the Pilates and my strength work and, you know, PT a couple times a week. So there's so much more that's not in that miles per week number, which I think has made me a lot stronger, a lot more dynamic and a lot healthier. Um, so yeah, we are a little bit less in mileage, but I think we, uh, we make up for it by, um, yeah, keeping me healthy, I guess. I, I got to find out about that toe yoga at some point <laughs> but right now. Uh, we gotta, we gotta, to muster ourselves and get ahead to the marathon trials, which we're all really excited about. And of course you and everyone else on that starting line is going to want to be, uh, over a hundred percent prepared if that's possible. And of course, it goes without saying everybody's wearing super shoes these days, but there's so much else out there. I'm curious, what's your attitude about high calorie hydrogels and gels that can contain sodium bicarbonate and beet juice and caffeine and everything else? Uh, did, did some of these things work for you or are you hands off on a lot of it? I, you know, I feel like I'm pretty old school with like with new fitness trends. I'm a really slow adopter, but I do that list of stuff. Like when I wake up, I have a cup of coffee every morning. That's just so I do. Yeah. So I like my coffee in the morning. 
Um, I crave, I've been craving beets a lot. I didn't know that beet juice were a thing until you just said it, but I have been going through a big beet phase the last, uh, the last couple months. Um, you know, and I do the you can gels. Um, I don't know what type, if it's that type that you just mentioned, but, um, for me, because they are more of a, like a starch release, it's a slow release starch rather than sugar. I find that I haven't been getting the crashes. I don't get the headaches afterwards. And I, as the older I've gotten, I think the more sensitive I've been to sugar. So I've had to be real careful with, um, just the type of sports nutrition I put in. So, um, I, I feel like I'm pretty old school and I'm a very slow adopter to, I guess, like the new technology, but I do, I don't know. I think there is merit to, I guess, a lot of what you said, but I also am not looking for a quick fix or some, you know, a shortcut or anything like that. I'm kind of just sticking to what's worked for me for the last uh, few years. So the trial's coming up. If you could name, say, three top contenders at the trials, not including yourself, who would they, who would they be? Kira? And See, you was, only get three. Sorry. Oh man. <laughs> See, that's tricky because you said I couldn't say myself. So I think the three that I'm going to have to name would be Alephine, Molly, and Sally, the three Olympians from 2020. And the reason why I say that is because they know how to race the trials, and they've proven that they can race in a tactical race and come out on top. So I think those three women have proved themselves in the past and should not be overlooked by. Um, by anyone. So I guess those are the, if I had to pick three, I'm going to pick those three because they've proven they can do it before. How about a couple of dark horses in there? Oh man. I think that everyone from the trials last year, I think the top 10 is, I mean, they should all be contenders from the trials last year. And then three people that were not in the top 10 last year, Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, and Betsy Sanya. Um, we don't see much of Betsy cause she lives in Kenya and she doesn't come over to race very often. So to me, she is the one that the biggest question mark for me, but she also beat me earlier this year in the 25, um, yeah, the 25 us championship. She had a, like a killer kick at the end and got me at the end. I will say it was at the very beginning of my build. And so I wasn't quite like in buzzsaw shape yet, but she is, she is a, a talented runner and a fierce racer. So I think she should be on everyone's radar. You know, a moment ago, I mentioned the fact that you all want to be 101% ready on Marathon Trials Day. But there's also a philosophy that it's somehow smarter and a little safer to aim for 90%. Have you and Scott discussed this and what your goal is? Yeah, I we haven't discussed it in the way that you just phrased it. But Scott and I are both on the same page that health is the most important. And if I don't make it to the starting line, there's no way that I'm going to make that team. So I think we are going to be um, fairly conservative with our training. If we need to shift workouts or take, um, you know, just go a little bit easier, I think we're definitely going to err on the side of health um, rather than, you know, last year for us um, and at world championships, we were erring on the side. We were on that razor's edge leaning towards trying to be the best in the world. And I really put myself into a position where I felt like maybe I could be, but it was that on that razor's edge. I do not think we're going to do that um, for the trials. I think I will. I I mean, the way that things been going, I think I can be my fastest ever, you know, on the starting line in February, but I think health um, is the most important. There's been a lot of talk about the 
uh, the starting time at the trials, and it's become a big controversy. And what are your thoughts on it? What would be your preferred starting time? And are you worried about possible heat in Orlando in February? Yeah, you know, when um, people have asked me, I just say, tell me when the starting time is, and I'll be there, and I'll be ready to go when the gun goes off. So that's kind of my attitude. Um, I do feel like it is a question I've been asked a lot, and I... I think it takes away a little bit from the race because we're talking about the start time and not the athletes at this time. I mean, I would rather not race when it's super hot, you know, and I think that's just a given for everyone out there. But um, I don't know, like wherever, whenever it, whenever they decide the starting time, you know, right now at noon. So I'm going to do all my workouts and train for a noon race. And if that changes, then I'll adjust. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. When the gun goes off. I'll be ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) Kira, so this podcast ends with a a fairy godmother question. George and I happen to have one. She's a good friend of ours, and she's happy to give you uh, three wishes uh, for the next three months, uh, December, January, and February. What are your three wishes? That's an awesome question. So I think my kids would be disappointed in me because we've talked about like Genie and the Wishes, and they have... um, really prep me for this kind of question in my life that you always ask for more wishes. <laughs> so wish number one would be for like a million more wishes. They would be very disappointed if they ever heard this and I did not wish for more wishes. So number one is more wishes. You're number raising two, smart kids. <laughs> <laughs> number two, I would wish for health of my family you know, for over the next three months or whatever, like, I feel like that's always like my number one goal in life is just for my family to be healthy. And then my third wish would be for my family to be happy. So that those would be my wishes for more wishes for health and happiness of, of my family and friends. I'll throw my friends in there too. Yeah. Well, we wish you all of those and also that the health and happiness maybe uh, translates to a, a top three finish on February 3rd, of course, none of us really know where that's going. But it's been wonderful to visit with you and and to chat with you this morning, Kira. And uh, thank you so, so much for your time and a busy training season. And best health to everybody for the next three months and and beyond that as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun. I really appreciated your really fun questions. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys. Will you be there in February? To be determined for me. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll see you in February. But thank you very much for inviting me on. One, one way or another, we'll be among the perhaps millions watching that and uh, rooting like crazy for some great racing. I'll, I'll go for it. I can promise great. you that. I'm going to go for it. Thank you so, so much. great conversation we just had with Kira D'Amato. What a well-rounded individual. What did you find most striking about her comments? Yeah, Ambie, what I found was, you're right, what a well-balanced person. I mean, here she is. She's a realtor. She owns a retail store. She's a mother with a couple of children. And she's also running at the highest elite level. I mean, you don't see that every day. I just, I just loved it. And it, it just seemed to inform her whole uh, way of approaching her running. Well, I thought so too, uh, especially when we talked about the 
trials controversy and people can't figure out when it's going to start, she was like, yeah, I would prefer cooler, but it's really not an issue for me. I just want them to tell me when it's going to start and where, and I'll be there. I'll be ready to run. Just just give me the stuff. Great attitude for sure. You know, 39 years old and, uh, you know, uh, here she is. She could be thinking of uh, Des Linden's new master's record, but believe me, she's not. She's not. She's thinking about making this Olympic team and running maybe as fast as she's ever run before for two nineteen. So uh, she's she's pretty she's pretty spectacular. You know, the other thing I, I like just talking about the way she uh, approaches things. You, you gave her uh, three fairy godmother wishes and uh not one not one of them had anything to do with running making the olympics team staying uninjured none of the things you might expect from someone at her at her level uh it was uh the first one her kids said the first wish is to to get a thousand more wishes and then and then it was, you know, family stuff. I, I, I just like that a lot. Well, I think everyone who listens to her will be impressed by the balance she showed there. I liked the parts when she was talking about her coach, Scott Rasko. He's one of those guys who's really a big, successful coach, but he doesn't ever seem to be out there promoting himself. You don't hear him on podcasts. Nobody's writing articles about Scott. But I actually first met him at the 2000 Olympic trial track trials in Sacramento, where I spotted him and a young high school junior named Alan Webb sitting uh-huh. up in the stands. So I went up and had a nice little chat with them. And I don't think I've talked with Scott since, but he's been doing his thing ever since. And I, I give him credit for that. And I love, love, love that Kira has entered the last two World Championships marathons because that event is basically an Olympic marathon. And when you go to the World Championships marathon in Eugene two summers ago in in uh, Budapest this Budapest. past summer, you're running against the very, very best athletes in the world, including all the great Kenyans, all the East Africans, Ethiopians, and so on. She hasn't hesitated. She goes to those races. She gets knocked about a bit because that's what happens. In Budapest, she injured herself in the middle of the race, and many runners would have dropped out at that point, say, figuring they should save themselves for something else besides finishing in the middle of the pack in Budapest. But she kept going because she was thinking of her kids watching on TV back home, and they didn't. Want, she didn't want anyone, especially them, to be able to say that she was a quitter who dropped out of races. So she yeah, finished injured, but a, she came back. She's a great one. So, and that's it for this week's episode of Running State of the Sport. We hope you enjoyed joining us as much as we enjoyed sharing the time with you. We'll be back again in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, please tell your friends about running state of the sport. We'd also appreciate a review at your favorite podcast host, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. And in signing off, 
Here's our hope for the state of your own personal running. Chin up, clear eyes, full heart, keep moving, onward.